Hi, hello, how are you? My name is Elizabeth Dale and I'm a Cornish writer, blogger and podcaster who could be said to have a slight obsession with local history. I just can't seem to help myself. Every single day of my life seems to be spent digging into Cornwall's past and digging up the stories that I think you guys are going to be interested in. Now, a few uh, days ago, a friend of mine actually said to me, did I think that I was going to run out of stories? And this is something that I did think about quite early on when I started my blog, gosh, about eight years ago now. And I was worried that one day I would just wake up and there would be nothing left to say. (laughs) Unfortunately, that day has never come and Cornwall is still a source of endless inspiration for me. Um, And fortunately, I get to share all my research and all the stories that I find with you guys. And I think part of the reason that I never run out of things to write about and talk about with you is that Cornwall's history is just so incredibly diverse. And I'm interested in every aspect of it, really. Um, As you probably can tell from my blog, you know, I will dip into stories that um, are about folklore or wartime Cornwall or smuggling, pirates, prehistory. It really doesn't matter. I find all of it completely fascinating. Now, this time of year, though, we've got to start talking about ghosts. And I have covered a few ghost stories on my blog in the past. And I thought it would be a really fun thing to do um, to record a couple of ghost stories for you for the podcast too, to get you in the mood for Halloween. Now it's that time of year isn't it when the evenings start drawing in and the trees are losing their leaves and everything just feels like it's just settling down for the winter ahead and of course Halloween really marks the changing of those seasons and Halloween of course means ghost stories. So I've gone back through my research and I've picked a couple of my favourites for you but they're also kind of the lesser known stories as well. The first one which is a bit more of a murder mystery really than a ghost story it takes us to Penzance and that's Cornwall's most westerly town that kind of shelters in the curve of Mounts Bay and although it's still fairly busy today in the past it was really bustling port with ships coming and going from all over the world and it might be hard to believe now but in those days you could actually catch a ship from Penzance all the way to New York which seems strange now seeing as it's it's fairly difficult just to get a train to London these days. Anyway um, in October 1813 a group of workmen had been employed to take down a derelict building near the old quay in Penzance. Now of course Penzance in the past looked quite different than it does now. That whole large car parking area near the train station was all water. 
the keys that we see today um, didn't exist. And back in 1913, quite a lot of work was done to the old key, which was sort of near where the Dolphin Tavern is today. The Dolphin is actually one of the oldest buildings in Penzance. Um, And in the past, it was very, very close to the water's edge, even closer than it is now. Now it's kind of sheltered by the modern harbour. But in the past, you know, waves would wash up right to the to the door of the tavern, and famously, um, on stormy days, the pub would flood, and its whole uh, basement would be filled with seawater, and the barrels <laughs> would be bobbing about. Anyway, I've always imagined when the the newspaper articles talk about this derelict building that the workmen were taking down, I've always imagined that it was somewhere near the Dolphin Tavern, but I don't actually know that for sure. So in around 1812, extensive work was being carried out in that area, around the old harbour near Key Street and Battery Road, and that included extending the old pier that had been built in 1766 and S.J. Courtney who lived in Penzance for the whole of his life and he actually published a small pamphlet in 1878 recording his memories of the town and its people. Anyway in it he explains that the planned developments were to try and stop these waves breaking into the Dolphin Inn which um, he said was actually standing on reclaim land and he describes the area that we're talking about um, in his book. Courtney wrote quote commercially it was quite a different scene now to what it was at that time. Then and for many years after all the merchandise was loaded and unloaded at the old pier and thence came into the town through Key Street and Chapel Street. Now a greater part of all the trade is carried out at Albert or New Pier Near the old pier head was a pile of rocks called Carn Jenny, pieces of which were prized by carpenters and others who used it to sharpen their tools. This rock was blasted when the new extension was built. End quote. Now that Carn Jenny that he talks about um, from the research I've done is some kind of volcanic rock um, and it had it was extremely hard and that's why um, he he mentions carpenters sharpening their tools on it which is, is quite bizarre if you think about it anyway so back to this old building that was being taken down in 1813 um, it was considered something of an eyesore Um, and had once been an inn and a boarding house in the centre of this sort of commercial hubbub that was present at that that time or around that time. But for some reason it had stood empty for many years and had fallen into disrepair. And there were rumours, rumours of a strange disappearance and rumours of a murder and rumours that this old derelict inn was actually haunted. Now let's talk about ghosts in Penzance a little bit here. So socially in the 19th century there appears to have been this real disparity between how the so-called educated classes viewed the supernatural and 
the powerful sort of deep held superstitions of what we might call the ordinary folk. It seems that the upper classes almost took pride in just sort of scoffing at what they saw as the uneducated people and their sort of childish and primitive um, fears. Even Courtney, who had lived in Penzance for some 50 years and quite clearly loves the place and its people, describes the locals as delusional when it came to their belief in ghosts. There was a house on North Parade that remained unoccupied for a number of years because local people believed that it was haunted. And Courtney also describes in his book several other old premises in Penzance that had a similar reputation. There was the ghost of a woman called Mrs Baines that was said to haunt one of them and she was said to have this sort of Sisyphean task of spinning black wool into white for all eternity. And then there was also the legend of a coach with headless horses rumbling through the town in the middle of the night. And Courtney wrote that there were people in his lifetime who fully believed that they had heard this coach. And he wrote, quote, The belief in ghosts is almost universal amongst the lowest classes, end quote. And there was one more house uh, that the people of Penzance found spooky. In November 1813, the Royal Cornwall Gazette reported, quote, As some workmen were lately employed in taking down an old house near the quay at Penzance, they discovered beneath one of the floors a human skeleton, which, from its appearance, must have lain there a considerable time. The house has been uninhabited, as a report prevailed of it being haunted, end quote. Now, the article goes on to explain that the building had for many years since been a public house. But sadly, I was unable to really confirm that or confirm what the identity of the inn was. There are lots of historic pubs in Penzance uh, and there would have been a lot more at the, at the time of the skeleton's discovery. The ones that we have remaining today include the Admiral Bembo and the Turk's Head and the Seven Stars and, of course, the Dolphin. Now, of course... None of those can be the inn that we're, we're talking about here because they're all still standing. But after much research, I did come across an advert for a pub called The King's Head in Penzance. And this was run by a man called John Ford between roughly 1808 and 1810. And after that, there was no further mention of it operating. John Ford explains in his advertisement that he is moving from the Seven Stars Inn in Penzance and is now offering, quote, gentlemen travellers and the public in general some neat and commodious accommodation as well as a choice of wines and liquors at the King's Head. Now, of course, I can't be sure that this is actually the inn that we're looking for, but at the moment it is, it's my best guess. So... After the workmen had uncovered the skeletal remains, there was a lot of speculation in the newspaper and I'm sure there was a lot of gossip on the streets of Penzance as well. And it soon became clear that local people believed that the former inn was haunted by a ghost for a very specific reason. Reports appeared that a sailor had been lodging in rooms at the public house and that he was, quote, 
possessed of considerable property, end quote. Now, one day, this wealthy young man just suddenly disappeared and was never heard of again. His face was missed around the town as he'd been a regular at the inn for quite some time. And it seems that even before the discovery of the skeleton, even before any evidence that there had been foul play came to light, people apparently conjectured that something nasty had happened to this young man, that the sailor had been murdered. Now, after the discovery in 1813, the newspapers really came to the same conclusion. The Royal Cornwall Gazette wrote, quote, There can be little doubt but that the unfortunate man was murdered and secreted in the place above mentioned. The circumstances have given rise to much speculation at Penzance, end quote. Now, who this sailor actually was is still something of a mystery, as is the name of the inn that he was staying in. The man's name is never mentioned in the newspaper articles in 1813, nor in 1890 or 1834, when the, sub, uh, the story again gets published in the press. So I can only guess that perhaps too much time had passed and the people of Penzance, although they knew his face, Maybe they had never known his name or, or had just forgotten his name. And it doesn't seem as if there was any further investigation into this discovery of a skeleton. It's unclear where the remains of the sailor, if it was him, were laid to rest. I could find no reference to a burial in the parish records in the vicinity at the time. It does appear as if there must have been some kind of foul play because, you know, who who buries a body underneath their floor for innocent reasons? And of course, the inn shut up, if it was the King's Arms, the inn shut and no one ever um, looked into it again until obviously these workmen discovered the skeleton. The whole thing was just sort of forgotten until it was accidentally brought to light. Like I said, it did pop up in the newspapers again a couple of times, you know, many years after the skeleton was discovered. But as the Cornishman newspaper points out in when it was discussing the case in 1890, that contrary to Shakespeare's idiom, murder does not always come out. So we don't always find out what happened and, and who the victim, let alone who the criminal was. Now, the next story is a little bit more light-hearted, let's say. It's more about things that go bump in the night rather than murderers lurking in the shadows that are never brought to justice. And this story comes from Falmouth. And it was during the winter of 1849. And during those dark nights of 1849, the whole town of Falmouth was a little bit on edge. The conversation in the shops and the AR houses and on the street corners was about just one thing. The strange noises that were being heard in the night. Unexplained, frightening noises that were keeping everyone awake. There were various contradictory descriptions of what people were actually hearing. They ranged from melancholy, unearthly music to <laughs> screeching cries of pain. 
Some fishermen said that they heard the noises when they were out on the water crossing the bay, while other townsfolk heard it in the back streets and as far out of town as the Green Bank, though no one ever seemed to be able to pinpoint exactly where these noises were coming from. It seemed like everybody started to get a little bit spooked. Um, Some even claimed to have seen a phantom take shape accompanying these noises, but were unable to explain exactly what they had seen. Just to add to the whole atmosphere of barely contained panic, one newspaper actually wrote, quote, The eccentric movements of this nondescript, coupled with all the other matters connected with it, make all agree in this particular, that it must be a ghost, a prelude of some direful disaster about to befall the town of Falmouth. So the panic was building. Women and children apparently stopped leaving the house at night. Many couldn't sleep without having a lit candle in their room. The fishermen stopped going to sea and the the entire town's police force was sent out at night to, quote, drive the spirits back from whence they came, end quote. Large numbers of local men began to take to the streets too. They began these sort of ad hoc patrols of the dark lanes around Falmouth and many were actually armed and there were reports of a great many shots being fired throughout the night as this kind of ragtag army of civilians just started shooting at shadows. Around the 30th of November 1849 a group of men claimed to have seen and shot the spectre but that the shot had passed right through it without seeming to cause it any injury. According to the newspapers, they concluded that this was due to the colour of the balls of shot. Now, I'm not really sure where they got this idea from, but basically it appears that they believed because the shot, the little balls were black, they didn't work against ghosts. The Royal Cornwall Gazette reported, quote, as dark or coloured balls were inoffensive when used to shoot ghosts, end quote. So it was decided that the balls should be whitened with chalk to make them more effective. Now you have this ad hoc militia with their shot now whitened with chalk out on the town of Falmouth hunting for a ghost. And the next night, around 1am, the men apparently came across the ghost again. They fired and this time it seemed like their plan had worked because the phantom creature fell to the ground. Now, according to the newspapers, these gallant men were so petrified by what had just happened, by what they had done, that they were too afraid to even approach where this phantom had fallen. They had to wait until daylight, until the next morning, by which time there was a very expectant crowd gathering and they all went off to the spot to see what these men had shot. And they discovered that the ghost was, brace yourself, a fine fat pig that was the property of the Royal Hotel. So the poor pig had clearly been rampaging around the streets of Falmouth in the dead of night, 
screeching and squealing and banging into things and just making a terrible ruckus. And the poor superstitious people of Falmouth had believed that they were being haunted by a ghost. Okay. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed the, the two stories from today. I hope you're in the mood for some more spooky tales for Halloween. If you are, just go to, to my blog and search for ghost stories. And there's a few of them on there, which hopefully you'll enjoy. And all that's left for me to say is thank you ever so much for joining me. I really, really hope that you're enjoying the podcast. And if you've got any feedback, if you've got any comments, I would really love to hear them. And other than that, please don't forget to like and to share and to tell other people about the podcast just so that, you know, we can get more people over here listening. Thank you ever so much for your support. It really, really does mean the world to me. I'm just sitting here at my desk talking to space so it's nice to know that there are people out there actually listening (laughs) okay take care till next time and i'll speak to you very soon bye